Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing Direct Suggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With Direct Suggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. Direct Suggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs 50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with Direct Suggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. Direct Suggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. I have a wonderful guest on this week, Sophie Wade, who is a work futurist, international keynote speaker, author, instructor, and workforce innovation specialist at Future of Work Consultancy, Flexel Network. Over 540,000 people have taken her LinkedIn video courses on empathy, Gen Z, and future of work skills. Sophie's executive advisory work and transformative workshops help leaders adapt to new business conditions and attract, engage, and retain a multi-generational distributed workforce. Sophie's first book, Embracing Progress, Next Steps for the Future of Work, which came out in May of 2017, was an EMBA textbook. And her latest book is Empathy Works, The Key to Competitive Advantage in the New Era of Work, which came out just recently in May of 2022. Sophie hosts the popular podcast, Transforming Work with Sophie Wade, and she received her BA and MA at Oxford University and MBA at International Business School, INSEAD. Did I say that right, INSEAD? INSEAD. Okay, so I'll say that line over and the editor will replace it. Mm -hmm. She also received her BA and MA at Oxford University and MBA at International Business School, INSEAD. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining today. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And we have, you know, we have quite the topic to dive into <laughs> today. So I think we should just like really jump in. I mean, we're going to be talking about tensions in the workplace and the strains between these remote and hybrid work models. So where do where do we start? Where does the strain come from? Where is the tension coming from in the workplace? And is there a model that is better or worse than the other? <laughs> Oh, you're launching right into the controversy. Okay, fantastic. (laughs) So I think the tension comes from the fact, really fundamentally, that everything is, we're in a period of transformation and it's quite turbulent. There is so much that is changing at the same time, driven by technology. And it means that at the same time as all of this is changing, that dealing with people working in different places is one more thing that, you know, a number of leaders, particularly older, more traditional uh, command and control type leaders don't want to deal with. 
And so whilst they might, some of them might embrace these new ways of working more if things generally were a little bit calmer, I think there is the desire to, you know, get everyone back in the office and we can get on track and, you know, get my arm, I can get my arms around all of this. But that's not really what needs to happen and it's not going to, it's not going to actually help. Um, so there's a lot of tension between particularly younger people who really, the, the people who've only just recently come into the workplace, they don't actually know very much other than the kind of work types of, the different types of ways of working that we've been, we were experiencing during the pandemic. So these new ways of working, you know, working from home, working remotely, working in different, in different places, working distributed models is what they know and for older uh, people who have been in the workforce you know much longer and have finally sort of seen that there are different ways that they could be setting up their working life they could be working in different ways they can be they found out that they can be more productive in certain ways and they can be they're less productive here they need to be they want to be in the office here so all of these different things have been explored and discovered over the last few years so now that group of people sort of saying, okay, and I want to, you know, set up my life, not life differently and, and, you know, do my best work. So there's a lot of tension as people are, are exploring new things, trying to work in different ways, trying to optimize how they're working and get everything done. And for everybody, it's slightly different for every company, for every team. And that is a lot to be dealing with at a time, as I say, when we're going through a lot of transition. So, so you, you do tend to get from the, particularly from the older generations, like we want you back in the office full time and, and, you know, a lot of other people, particularly younger um, employees, but certainly not um, exclusively are looking to benefit from all these mobile and uh, uh, distributed types of technologies or, or enabling um, distributed work. Uh, that are really what I mean. We spent billions investing in these in order to to actually free ourselves up so that we could work in more distributed ways. So, so that's the source of the tension. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think about how transformational the pandemic, like what the pandemic did to transform, for example, workplaces. It really it was transformational in the sense that. Not only did workplaces obviously change, but also our entire society changed. The market, the housing market changed. The, the where people lived, you know, became a bigger discussion because people now then moved out of these urban or city centers and into more rural areas. And every, I mean, everything was impacted by this shift in society because of the, the pandemic. And so I think, you know, naturally, workplaces are at the crux they're the nucleus to society right i mean we think about we think about all of that and it makes sense that workplaces are now going through this okay well now we're out of the pandemic now what well so i wrote my first book i wrote in 2017 obviously pre-pandemic and i mm -hmm. talked about all of these trends apart from the changes in the sort of the city centers but even that that trend was happening pre-pandemic. The people were wanting to move out of the city centers. Mm -hmm. That was happening. It all got accelerated by the pandemic. And so the sort of the future of work really arrived in 2020. So mm -hmm. it was driven by the fact that it was, you know, I've been talking about the future of work and speaking about it and, 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 and helping people. Uh, 
transform ahead of it or as we were getting there. And then suddenly we got this, you know, pretty jarring um, acceleration. And that's what the challenge is, is because we don't, we haven't had a sort of way to ease into it. Now, I think it has, it has been jarring. It has sort of take a, taken a leap because so many of the other things, there have been some, some big aha moments, particularly in the US where the, the sort of the work culture has been pretty, pretty severe <laughs> um, in many ways in comparison to, to many European countries where from, for, apart from anything, you get six, seven, eight weeks of vacation a year. So flexibility becomes that much more important on, a, on, an, on an average week. But, yeah. but there have been societal changes. It's not just technology. For example, back in the 60s, 67% of households, there was only one person working outside the, uh, outside the home. Mm-hmm. That has changed. That was the economic, the golden era, the golden boom that happened after the war. Now it's very, very different. And for economic reasons, you have two, there are so many, I think it's 67%, it's close to 70% of families with kids under 18 in the house, both parents are working. Now that means you need much more flexibility. So we have been going this direction for a long time, trying to give more flexibility, trying to uh, explore and use more work arrangements than just being in the office sort of five days a week, nine to five. So it has been going in that direction. Um, and there was a lot of informal flexibility um, prior to the pandemic, but but it hasn't been it hasn't been formalized and we're now trying to, in this sort of jumpstart way, try and understand how we can best do it. And I think it's a very exciting time for HR, honestly, because HR, in particularly in this new tech-driven world, there is a counterbalance, which is about talent. And that's, yeah. for me, the most exciting thing. It's that we are bringing together, we need to bring together IT, HR, and FM, facilities management, together, because those three sort of departments, divisions, are really needed to help a company understand strategically how to set itself up for success. Very interesting. And I know you are the the person with all of the data. And so I would be remiss not to ask you a data specific question here. Mm-hmm. Is there is there research that shows how productivity is impacted by remote work versus hybrid work versus in-person? Because obviously a lot of people are going on record to say one thing or another, and I'd love to hear your perspective. Uh, Tracy, thank you for asking. So, um, <laughs> yes. So there is, look, it is early days since the, quote, end of the pandemic, right, to get steady data that really shows how people are working that have learned how to work effectively in distributed ways. We are still going through the transformation right now. All of us are, all our companies. I mean, very few companies have really sort of knocked it out of the park and really got it because it's, there's a, a lot of different things moving at the same time. So the data that is quoted in, in or referred to in a number of media articles starting in April, May this year has been restated and, and a number of times that data Um, a number of the studies actually go back to looking at comparing pre-pandemic and um, so pre, so the data, a lot of the data, some key research studies are comparing 2019 data, working from home um, and working in the office to 
how people were working and their performance or the results or how many calls they were doing um, during the first months or the first year of the pandemic. So the question then for me is for many companies when they're looking to try and see, well, how can I understand the productivity in my company? Is that going to be relevant? Is, comp is data that, that goes back to the beginning of you know, a global crisis, is that relevant data? And we're also, you know, some of these key data, these research studies come from, you know, it's, there's an Indian um, data inputting company. Um, there's a, 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 an, another study which is uh, looking at, oh, I forget, another company in, in, in China, I think. But the question is, for me, when you're, think, when you're looking at data, if you're going to make any policy changes or considering making policy changes or tweaking, the key thing is really to understand the data for your company, to be asking employees, to be benchmarking for different departments because they should be tracked and measured in different ways. I think it is very relevant to look at different companies, different models, you know, tweak and test and iterate. But some of this, we're still so, so new into this sort of the beginning, the launching months and years of this new era of work, because it's not just work, it's like all this business, which is all these business elements and operations, sure. which are dig digitalized, that it is hard to use a few select, very specific types of companies um, and moments in time that in order to compare for any particular company um, and what's going to be effective going forward. You asked me what I actually earlier, what, what I think is, is, there, is there the best model. So talking um, in, in conversations with, with a number of great folks in this area as well, Dominic Price, who's at Atlassian, um, Gary Bowles, who is the chair of the Future of Work at Singularity University, we all look at this, um, and, and, the, and there are others as well, Brian Elliott, um, in we all look at this in terms of a flexible. What we're looking for is flexibility. Now, for HR folks, that is that probably is, like, makes your head explode. But it, it can be done on a unit-by-unit unit basis because a fixed model, a fixed hybrid or structured hybrid model, still isn't going to get you the flexibility or get a team member or leader or, or teams working together help each person individually and compromising among the team to do their very best work. Because, you know, what I'm doing particular tasks versus you, Tracy, like we have different ways of working. And if you and I were working together on something versus you have to do something which is like your focus, individual work, but, and, and, and me too, we're going to be in a different setting, in a different environment. Um, and so we need to work out what's best for the task we're working on, for the project we're working on. Um, and that requires testing, understanding each other, really leaning in to sort of work out how we can do our best work. And we keep doing non-routine work. So the nature of work has changed a lot over the last 20 years, much more non-routine work. It's much less predictable, much more working together in teams. So we need to sort of understand each other better. And so, if it's going to be a sort of uh, a structured, a fixed couple of days a week or, you know, at the office or, or at home, that's not going to give as much flexibility as going is, mm -hmm. is optimal. I understand that that's a reasonable interim solution, but that's not the best place to end up. Because really, if the, the, your business, anybody's business, 
is going to be pivoting, is going to be trying to respond quickly to changes in customer behavior. We all see how much we've been changing our own behaviors, where we're living, how we're shopping, how we're living our lives. Are we going to the movie theaters anymore? All these different things have been changing a lot over the last several years, but continue to change. And that means our businesses, the, the, you know, the companies that we buy from and who serve us are needing to change their businesses too. And that's going to continue as each company, you know, puts, introduces more technologies or upgrades and my competitor has new technologies. Oh my goodness, how is that going to change how my customers, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a moving target. And therefore, it's not just how our businesses, if our businesses are needing to pivot and be very nimble, we need, we need our employees to be nimble too. Yeah, it's a really a great point. I, you know, for me, I always say on the podcast, I could never imagine going back into the office you know, where I'm required to do so. I work remotely, flexibility is important to me, and I work in an HR role. And, you know, I think about what you just said around, you know, what true flexibility is and that there, when you have a fixed structure to an environment that there isn't this maximizing of flexibility, of course. And I just wonder, is it really such a hard pill to swallow for businesses to, to just enable the utmost flexibility so that the adults that are employed can make a decision that's best for them to be empowered and entrusted to, you know, have autonomy and get their work done as we expect, whether they're in an office or not, and then, you know, still have these opportunities to come in person. You know, maybe it is once a month, you do an all hands in person, fine. That's like one day that's structured out of the month. Like, is it so unreasonable to expect, to expect that, businesses give this to employees. I, I personally don't think it's so unreasonable, but I, there are I people don't out there think that it's think unreasonable. It is unreasonable. <laughs> I I do empathize and recognize that habits human we are actually pretty good at dealing with change, but we are creatures of habit. And the pandemic was a lot of change. And it's brought even more change and ongoing change. And so as I said, you know, at the beginning, if, if leaders really want to get their arms around something and kind of like, you know, I want everybody back in the office so we can just like get focused and get going again, that feels, I can imagine, I can understand how that could feel like the right solution. As I said, I don't, I actually believe that's completely the wrong solution. Um, and it's not going to be helpful. Yeah. It also isn't logical or even a credible solution for some of the younger folks who are going to be looking kind of going, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, that doesn't, how can we, how can we you know when, if I want to do my best work and, you know, if we're using these technologies, like why do we design all these technologies? So, so I think it is, we have people who are used to old, you know, particular conventional, traditional ways of doing things. And, trying to move forward in and and meet objectives and meet the the shareholders demands and the you know the, the expectations of the stock market etc cetera, etc cetera, when so much is changing is hard and so it's kind of like if you know i could understand if it's like i don't want to i would try and reduce the amount of change we're having to deal with at the same time however this is the moment there are companies that are fully embracing this and, and learning as hard as they can to work out how to move forward 
with whatever model is going to make sense. And that means being flexible. And it means trying to understand, you know, what's right for this particular team. And it doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, sort of exploding your mind by thinking like every single person in the, in the whole company is going to be working differently. Well, you know, if a leader is working with a team, they can work it out among that team. And then, you know, and everybody also can contribute to making sure it works. Right. It's not it's not up to all on that leader. Everybody is taking more responsibility um, and accountability because we're pushing decisions down and out across organizations. We need to be able to respond quickly. And that means we're all taking more, you know, more ownership of the results, of the decisions, of, you know, trying to come up with sort of this co-creation um, verb that's been used or, um, now that's being used now in terms of how we move forward, because we're all trying to contribute it's, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot to be thinking about. There's a lot to be trying to work out and we can all be part of the solution too. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, as you were saying this, I pulled up this article that I had read this morning from, it was in Reuters and it's basically about how the return to office crackdown could backfire. And that, you, you know, it goes on to say moves by U.S. financial firms to enforce stricter return office return to office mandates could drive employees to leave. According to a study published by Deloitte of 700 financial executives surveyed, 66 percent who worked remotely part time said they would likely quit if ordered to return to the office five days a week. Now, obviously, we're taking we're extrapolating this data. I haven't given you any time to read <laughs> the data, which I know is probably painful. Um, but, you know, it, it also says that the study showed that caregivers with remote or hybrid arrangements were 1.3 times more likely to leave their jobs if that flexibility was taken away. I don't think this is so surprising, right? Like we, we were able to successfully work and accomplish things for basically two years through the pandemic in most industries that were able to move remote, not every industry. <coughs> but then you think about, you know, these, um, this industry, for example, I think about the financial services industry, which is historically pretty conservative in terms of how they approach, you know, just workplace norms in mm -hmm. general. Um, and it's I think it's a really interesting data point that 66 percent of those surveyed are saying that they would likely quit. Now, obviously, again, this is a part time survey. How are full time people influenced? But I just there are moments where I think and I'm sure that you have this feeling, too, because you have a podcast where I'm like, if if even just one more person guiding these decisions could listen to what we're saying to to the reality that people are desiring flexibility and you can have your cake and eat it too in the sense that you can have productive workforces and also provide them the flexibility i think that we would probably move some more mountains potentially more quickly <laughs> um and then this also you know leads me to that we, we spoke before we started recording about zoom and naturally by the time this episode comes out, Zoom could have a totally different article out. Um, but there was an article and of course, you know, the media, as you had mentioned before we started recording, the media really um, takes a bite into what clickbait titles do, which is to grab as much attention as possible. Um, and there was this discussion that Zoom is moving people back to the office, which sounds crazy, right? Because it, you read a headline, you're like, why would Zoom, the, the pioneer of workplace flexibility and remote work, why would they expect, why would they expect this from their employees? But you said something interesting. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how the media portrays this dichotomy or these challenges and tensions 
and maybe to speak to the Zoom situation a little bit more. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. So, yes, first of all, in fact, uh, I don't know if it was 2020 or 2021, the Zoom executives actually did originally try and get everybody back in the office. Uh, apparently, and everybody was like, I'm sorry, this, <laughs> we are not the company to be doing this. So that didn't work then. So um, speaking to this article, which is, um, you know, August 2023, it was the title of the article looked like Zoom was forcing everybody back into the office, which sounds like five days a week. No, they were actually, as we've had numbers of articles which say have the same kind of title, um, clickbait titles, it is they are trying to um, confirm that people have to be in the office two days a week. And I think if they are more than 50 miles away from the office, it, they can be in fewer days a week or only a few times a month. So I'm not quite sure if you live 51 miles away, it, you know, it gets a little mm -hmm. sort of odd in those type of things. Um, I, I think, you know, there are lots of different companies and there was one, there was one, I think in May, which was talking about all of the, the tech giants doing this, that, and the other. And they started off with, with Google, which, which had actually uh, said that some remote workers were no longer allowed to be fully remote um, or people, some people who had, were coming in, if they'd already had it approved, they could, but if they're coming in, they wouldn't get it. But generally what they were trying to do is reinforce or try and get people who had, were uh, all allowed to be doing three days a week, um, had to be three days a week in the office to actually come in. So the mandates, there are lots and lots of mandates that are out there, which people are just not coming in for. And I believe a lot of that is to do with trust. And mm -hmm. what all this boils down to is trust. Because, you know, prior to the pandemic, if you're going into the office, you didn't necessarily understand that whether your manager or leader did or didn't trust you. Then come the pandemic, you were trusted, you needed to be trusted and you got stuff done. And now if you're being told, well, you have to come into the office, you know, sort of dot, 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 I don't necessarily trust you. So I think if we can go with the, with the trust, so I, I believe it's, there are many workers who don't want to go back into the office, you know, however many days a week because they don't believe or they they may believe that if they were to do that, they're going to be forced to, to be there five days a week. And I think when we can really start to build trust, which is why, you know, my book is my second book is about empathy. It's like when we can build those trusting relationships between 
the manager and the team. And you can use benchmarks and there are all different ways that you can, you know, ensure people are, you know, contributing to make sure to, to help them be performing and doing the, you know, and focusing on results rather than presence. Then we can actually get to a place where the business is really, um, you know, growing and succeeding and employees are much happier and engaged in their work at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we really need to, there are a lot of disingenuous, there have been a lot of disingenuous articles which are, you know, trying to uh, either get us to click or feed into this, this sort of incendiary tension, which is, you know, is, it's good for, you know, good for selling advertising, but it doesn't, it really doesn't help us. I mean, we need to, I just, there's so much wasted time and energy and, and stress, um, you know, and that includes, I was very, I was actually very disheartened to be seeing that um, a couple of uh, friends of mine on LinkedIn had been, you know, DM'd to say that they couldn't at their companies, they felt that if they actually liked uh, a post which was a uh, talking about remote working or hybrid or distributed work that that would actually uh, count against them they would actually be that would be noticed and they would be um you know they would actually have some negative could have some negative repercussion that for me is a huge problem that's a huge problem so i i do hope that we can you know I don't believe that the, you know, September, October, that, that whatever new push back to the workplace has been going on. I don't believe it's going to be successful. I think the companies that really continue to be pushing for that are going to really suffer and have huge problems, um, uh, whether it's with caregivers, whether it's with young people, whether they're engaged or just going through the motions because they're actually focusing on their, their side hustle and trying to get out of there as soon as possible. I don't know. But I think more the more sensible companies honestly are going to just get with the program and just like embrace it and just play okay now let, now let's look at distributed work now let's look at asynchronous working and how can we maximize all these amazing technologies that we built to make this work quite better yeah i absolutely agree with you and you know i'm thinking about what you said in the beginning of the podcast which was around this idea of talent and how talent has become a huge construct to all of this, but also a huge focus. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is what you almost like a prediction, what you think could come of this push for going back to work and you or back to the office, I should say, and you kind of already touched on this just now. Um, but I would imagine that similarly to what we saw while we were still in the pandemic from companies that were like, hey, we got to go back to the office and people were like, not a chance. And they had to change and they had to be more flexible and they had to, you know, enable a, a different way of working that if there is enough of a push from businesses to return to the office, I would imagine that there would be that same type of, you know, for lack of a better term, rebellion in some ways. And that would result in a lack of the ability to find strong talent, which is already a challenge. So do you have predictions? Does this sound like something that you would sign off on or? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, over the so we've seen the great resignation, which was basically, you know, over 4 million people were resigning in, in the US every month. And the numbers haven't been quite, I think, since January 2023, the numbers have been close to 4 million still. So it's it's not that it's it's changing. I, and I, I don't call it necessarily the great resignation. I think for me, it is a an overdue understanding 
of workers, of employees, but workers, whether they're, you know, non-employees, they could be independent contractors. Um, Because I think Mm -hmm. I do foresee in the future people using many more types of employment arrangements to their benefit and to the benefit of companies. There's much more flexibility overall in terms of maybe I want to work part time. And then in the rest of my week, I want to have three or four different clients, for example. Therefore, I'm beholden to not I'm not beholden to one company and put all my eggs in one basket, which is most risky for me. So um, I do see that that this uh, sort of the there was a lovely article I think in 2020 which said epiphany quitting and I love that term I was oh, like, I like oh look I can live my life differently <laughs> so I do think there is a very positive honestly a positive side to this in terms of employees looking at how they can live their lives differently which ultimately can be extremely beneficial to the companies that they work for because if both sides lean into this I do see this truly as a win-win. It sounds like a cliche, but I do see this as a win-win that you can, you know, find out what that employee is good for. There's great Gallup data which shows that when you when managers align their their employees to their skills and strengths, the engagement goes up, property profit um, profits go up, revenues go up. I mean, um, stats for that. And so, uh, yes, on the on the flip side, you're going to get people who are quitting. You're, you're going to get um, people who, or they're not engaging. They're disengaging and whether I'd, I'd hate all these labels like quiet quitting, but I do know that there are, there are many young people who <clears throat> they might want to stay in their job to have healthcare because that's, that is a big expense in the U S. Um, and whilst if they don't feel that there, there's a culture that's trying to nurture them and particularly make sure that they keep being upskilled because this is, if they have no job security, mm-hmm. this comes to the issue of loyalty and what does loyalty mean? Well, if this company I'm working for is keeping me upskilled, is helping me can be competitive and I can do my best work and make sure that the business, is, the business needs are met and, and I continue to be learning and all the rest of it, then I'm going to stay engaged. But if that's not happening, why would I stay? Why would I engage when I can actually put my efforts and energies somewhere else, which is going to be better for me because I need to stay competitive, otherwise I have no financial security whatsoever. I mean, these are very, very real concerns for young for the for the young talent group now. Yeah, absolutely, all really good points. And I think my my final question for you is actually a little bit Gen Z focused. I know that you <laughs> spent quite some time focusing on this uh, generation, but you know, Gen Z is so interesting. And I repeat myself on the podcast all the time that Gen Z are the disruptors and they have changed the way that we think about work and, and what workplaces experiences all the time. They, they gone are the days where, you know, they, there's this feeling of, oh, well, this doesn't meet my work-life balance needs. I'm just going to figure it out and work through it until I find that next job. Gen Z is like, okay, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to go find something else now because you're not meeting my needs. And I think it's so powerful to see how this generation, which will eventually be the majority in the workforce soon enough, has been able to really be uh, you know, a disruptor again in this in, in workplaces. That said, I've also read a lot, and I'm curious to hear about any data that you might have. I've read a lot that Gen Z has, there's this, um, you know, almost dichotomy here that there is a part of Gen Z that's like, I, I just graduated college. I want to meet people. I want to have the ability to go in the office and I want to have ultimate flexibility, which kind of does come back to 
how can we just make it all happen for people, right? Mm -hmm. um, but is this is this an accurate perspective of Gen Z? And and is Gen Z really this as transformative as I'm perceiving them to be? And do we see them their generation really enhancing and transforming the workplace as as the years go on? Yes and no and yes, <laughs> and I'll explain why. So. Um, I don't see them as the disruptors. However, they are being dis they 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 are not deliberately being disruptive. They mm -hmm. are manifesting. And I, I, let's just not say Gen Z, the younger people, because mm -hmm. I because I, I don't like being told off and like using late, you know generational sure, label sure, names. Sure. But so the younger people that come to the workforce, they don't know anything else. They come in and they're reacting to what is. Now, if, if I have 20, 25, 30 years, you know, whatever, years of experience, I, even if things have changed, I'm going to feel that it's the same or I'm going to try and make it the same because that's what I'm comfortable with and that's what I know. But so the younger people who don't have entrenched ways of doing things, who have these, these sort of routines that they've been in the ways that they've been working for years and years and years, they are the ones that we can look to to try and understand the most about the future of work. So when I look at them, I'm like, oh, this is what this is where the future this is what the future of work looks like. So it's not that they're causing it, it's that they are showing us how different it is. Now, they don't necessarily know what to do with all of that. And so, you know, it's a little bit the blind eating the blind here. So that's not very helpful. However, there's some interesting data uh, which really uh, sort of helped me see if things, some things more clearly. So I want to share these with you. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting with a group of Gen Z's now. So this is not a research study, but I was just chatting with a whole bunch of them. And they had been absolutely on point, giving me all kinds of really, uh, you know, this, 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 and this, like knew exactly what their answers were. And then suddenly, and then I sort of said, well, um, and it seemed like it was a pretty normal question to me. I said, so what do you want to be doing in, you know, career-wise in five to, to 10 years time? Silence, hmm. confusion. Well, oh, well, um, oh, uh, and what came out of that, their final sort of uh, agreement, all of them were, I want to be learning all the time. I will leave my employee if I stop learning. I will leave my employer if I stop learning and I don't get a promotion because that will, you know, that sort of takes you up to the next level to be learning again. It's because the focus is so much on learning. I then found some data, which is from a YouGov from 2019, which said that uh, 18 to 24 year olds in 2019, 54% of them believe that they're going to do a career that doesn't exist yet. Wow. Now, Think about that. So if I am 24, 25, why would I choose a career at the point when I'm still like trying to work out my skills, trying to work out what I what what I'm good at, where I should focus, what I want to focus on? If things keep changing, it doesn't make sense. And so then I look back at that conversation and that the fact that they suddenly were confused and had 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 sort of didn't have a the kind of medium term, longer term, medium term perspective that I had certainly, you know, when I was sort of that at that point in my in my um, sort of career development. 
And, you know, this data that shows that people have multiple careers, maybe five careers over the course of their lifetime. So I was, then I also found all this data about job hopping and this, and, you know, Gen Z's, they job hop and job hop. And I was like, well, hang on a second. Maybe they're not job hopping. Maybe they're exploring. Mm -hmm. They're exploring skills. They're exploring types of company. They're exploring different, uh, you know, ways of working and strategies. There's also data that shows it's actually still very, very hard. And this is something that HR does really, I believe, need to, to, to focus on because of where, where we are and how things are changing. It's very hard to move internally within a company. We don't have these linear careers anymore that go incrementally right. up the hierarchy. It, people need to be crossing over, moving horizontally, moving diagonally. And if they can't move horizontally or di diagonally because there isn't always a step up, then it's easier to step into the step out and that's what mm -hmm. you know companies you know if they want people to stay and actually you know keep um keep keep helping them upskill and 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 develop you know within the company that is something that needs to change and that that isn't that easy so that for me sort of said well hang on a second if if i'm exploring if i don't have an understanding of, or i haven't decided on my career because i'm sort of leaving it open because that's how much things are changing. Isn't that going to make me focus on the here and now? Isn't that going to make me focus on work-life balance? Because I, there's no point in sort of killing myself, you know, working incredibly long hours every day if I don't even know where I'm going. Fascinating. Fascinating. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I Now I'm going to go down a rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> reading into all of this. I mean... It makes so much sense. Right? It really does. Yeah, it really makes so much sense. And I love that you said, well, maybe it's not job hopping, it's exploring because it really, I mean, there. first of all, there's really nothing wrong with going from, to different jobs. Certainly, if, you, if a company has experienced a lack of retention because of their own challenges and they see someone with three months here, five months here, three months here, a year here, I can understand the hesitation. Um, but when you see, you know, a year to me going from like a job where you're somewhere for a year, maybe a year and a half, and you're bouncing around a little bit and figuring out what you like or getting, you know, exposure to things, maybe they're learning mm -hmm. more by going to these different companies. I don't see anything wrong with that. There's this, you know, it's a, a really great way of rephrasing. Yes. And what... And, and think about it, like if I'm at a company, so if I have no security for my for my future other than the skills that I have, if a company is not keeping me upskilled and keeping me learning, it's actually not good for me. It makes me worried about my future or my financial security. So if you see that people do have those skills and those skills keep growing, and obviously, you know, you can test, test for those skills in particular ways, that would be what I'd be concerned about. Because if somebody is moving around and there was data from LinkedIn, which showed that, um, which said that only 20%, I think it was, you know, Gen Z's, 20% um, of Gen Z's believe that their company or that their manager um, is can help them or is is engaged in helping them with their next career step small only 20 percent yeah. very small so and i do understand that we haven't hr has not been set up to move people around internally people need to be willing to 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 sort of share their great rising you know leaders into other teams not and need to have the relationships across organizations to be able to do that it's not easy it's really that's organizational change 
right? But that is one of the things that we need in order to be able to keep and engage and, and help these, you know, younger folks really grow within the organization and stay there. Absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing all of this data-driven knowledge to us today <laughs> on a topic that is so often talked about and yet still so important and has to remain a focus of com and a mm. point of conversation because it, it is constantly changing. We are seeing, you know, all of this discussion because every industry is different. Every company is different. Every yeah. person is different. Um, and so I really appreciate you joining the podcast today with that. Where can the listeners buy your books, meet, meet you, maybe connect with <laughs> you, learn more about what you do and, and listen to your podcast. Thank you so much, Tracy. So LinkedIn is a really great place to find me. I'm always posting data or making comments or sharing stuff. So that's that's a sort of good hub. Otherwise, sophiewade.com and flexelnetwork.com and transforming work with Sophie Wade is my podcast. And that's available on any all, on all the platforms. So um, yeah, thank you. It's been great to be here. And, and uh, it, it, I, I, love, I love the opportunity to share some of these sort of insights that, that were sort of epiphanies that came to me over the last six months or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really curious as to see how we all start engaging with, with this this new way of working and, new, and the new ways that careers are developing. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see even a year from now, what might be the reality or what we might be discussing as yeah. the next frontier. So maybe we'll have to come back to this. But Sophie, thank you again. All of your links will be in the show notes, of course, for the listeners and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Tracy. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.